Amen. Amen. This morning, if you have your Bible, take it out. We're going to continue our study in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8. And we're just going through the whole book of Luke. Just seeing the greatest story ever told because it's all a story about Jesus Christ. And so this morning, that's what we'll focus on. We'll focus on Jesus Christ. Last week, I asked you to be praying this week specifically and praying for tonight, really, and for what's to come. And we gave some prayer bracelets out and hope that you've been praying about Imagine 2018. And of course, that's an initiative we've been talking about over the past few weeks. And it's just so that we can hopefully build for the future and specifically build a student building. So not only can we accommodate the growth that we've had in our student ministry, but also so that we can attract students and college students here so that we can share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I believe with all my heart, we must reach the next generation. We must reach our kids and our students and our college students with the gospel. Because I believe that if you read Matthew 9 when Jesus said that the harvest is great but the workers are few, I believe, especially for the American church, the harvest will come from that age group, from kids and from students. And I can tell you statistically how I know that. And I share this with you, but this is important, and it cannot be overstated enough. Out of all the Americans that profess a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, out of all of them, 90% say they came to that saving knowledge in Jesus Christ before the age of 18. So what does that tell you? That tells me as a church, that tells me that we should be putting our resources and our time and our energy to reach that next generation, our kids and students And college students, we need to reach them before they get too old, before they become too hard. The reason that all or most are saved before the age of 18 is because when we tell God no enough and we just resist Him and we reject Holy Spirit leading us to God over and over and over again, all it does is harden our heart. And it's just the parable of the soils that we'll look at next week. And we become hard and the word of God can't penetrate our heart anymore. And because of that hardness, we never receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. But our kids do. Because they're not hard yet. And because when they hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel and they are saved. And so we must focus our energy and resources there. Why? Because that's where Satan focuses his resources and energy. He understands if he can rob the hearts of our children and he can keep them just for a short time until they get into adulthood, he knows the chances of them coming to God at that point are null and void. So he attacks our kids. And for the last 50 years, he's been doing that, especially in America. And he's attacked two primary institutions. And that's the institution of the family. And that's our education system. And that's how he has won the hearts of our kids. And that's how he is keeping children from God through those two entities. Last week I read a statistic and it's released from the UN. It wasn't even a religious organization. But they were talking about the destruction of marriage in the United States of America. And this is, they didn't frame it this way, but this is how they said it. In 1970, about all the children that were born in America... Only 10% of children in 1970 were born to a family outside of wedlock. Now in 2018, that statistic has jumped to 50%. Right at 50% of all babies that are born in the United States of America are born outside of wedlock. Meaning they're born to a single parent. Satan understands the importance of family and the way God has designed the world. God designed the world and He designed family. One man, one woman who are united together for life. 
filled with His Spirit, united by Christ, they are the mechanism to share the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ with their kids and their kids and their kids and from generation to generation to generation. That's what we're supposed to do biblically as a family. But Satan has destroyed the institution of the family, especially in America. So our kids don't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ anymore. So as the church, we must pick up that slack and we must share Jesus with them. Because that is God's plan. Because they must hear the good news. Because without hearing the good news, they will not be saved. And so this morning, I just want you to see that through Scripture. And I want you to see the simple plan that God has given us as the church. The simple plan. To reach not only our kids, but to reach the world and tell them about Jesus. So to do that, we're going to read Luke 8 in just a moment. But to start, I want to read one verse of Scripture before I read Luke 8. Because I want you to see how it pertains to what we're talking to this morning. And the verse of Scripture I want to read you is out of the book of Acts. And the reason I want to read this is because the same person who wrote the book of Luke is the same person who wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote both of those. And of course, we know the book of Luke is all about Jesus. It's all about His birth, His ministry, His work on this earth, and then His ascension into heaven. And then he starts writing the book of Acts, and he writes the book of Acts not really about Jesus Christ, but about the continuation of His ministry through the church. And the church is God's instrument that He left on this earth to continue the work that Jesus Christ started and continue that work until Jesus Christ returns. So I want you to see that. Just look. You can look on the screens if you want to. But listen to what Luke says here in, Luke, or in Acts 1, starting in verse 1. He says, In my first book, talking about the book of Luke, In my first book I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and to teach. That's an interesting word to me there, because he says there, I told you everything that Jesus began. Now why did Luke insert that word there, that Jesus began? He doesn't say everything that Jesus did. He doesn't say that he completed the work. He just says he began the work. And then the book of Acts is the continuation of that work. So as the church, all we're to be about, all we're to do, is the ministry that Jesus Christ began in the book of Luke. That's all we're to do. We don't have to come up with new philosophies. We don't have to come up with new ministries. We don't have to come up with new anything. We just do what Jesus started. What he began. So this morning, I want you to see the simple thing that he began. And we see it here in Luke 8. As we've just been walking through the book of Luke, you see the beginning of his ministry. So just read it. Look at Luke 8. I'm going to start reading there in verse 1. It starts out saying, soon afterward. Now, what is it soon afterward? Well, last week we looked at Luke 7 and we looked at the immoral woman anointing Jesus' feet and worshiping at Jesus' feet and sacrificing everything she had to him. So right after that, soon afterward, this is what Jesus did. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager. Susanna, and many others who were contributing their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Now in three verses, we see the work that Jesus began, and the work that should be continued through the church 
his instrument to continue that work until he returns. So three simple things that I believe the Bible teaches here in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ that he began. Number one, the main thing that Jesus Christ did when he lived and when he walked on this earth is he preached the good news. That's what it says there in verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. Preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. I tell you all the time about Luke 19, because that's where we get our vision. That's where we get our purpose as a church, is from Luke 19. And in Luke 19, we get the whole purpose of the Bible, and we get the whole purpose that why Jesus Christ existed. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ is on a rescue mission from God, seeking and saving the lost. And how does he do it? One way, by preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. That's what he did. He preached the good news. That's why he started his ministry. In Matthew 4, just after he's baptized, many people will say this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry because it was. This is what Matthew 4.17 says. From then on, after his baptism, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In Luke 4, Jesus tells us what he came here to do. Luke 4.43, but he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. Why was he sent? To preach the good news about the kingdom of God. Now, did Jesus Christ feed the 5,000? Yes. Did he heal the sick? Yes. Did he raise Lazarus from the dead? Yes. But why did he do all those things? For one reason, so people would hear him preach. So they would listen to what he says, and those miracles gave credence to every word that he spoke from his mouth. Why? Because he was preaching about the kingdom of God, because through preaching and through hearing his word and through hearing the good news is the only way that people are saved. It is it. That's the only way that Luke 19.10 can happen, how he wants to seek and save the lost. How do I know? We'll go read Romans 10 sometime. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The good news. If people don't hear the good news, they can never know the good news. They cannot know Jesus Christ. So faith comes by hearing. And that's why Jesus Christ was sent to preach the good news about the kingdom of God. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, when he preached, he didn't cover many broad topics. He didn't preach about philosophy. He didn't preach about self-help and how you become prosperous. He didn't talk about politics. What did he talk about? The kingdom of God and how you can be saved and how you can leave the kingdom of darkness and walk into the kingdom of light through faith in Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ did this and he began this ministry and we're going to continue this, what are we to do? The exact same thing. Preach about the kingdom of God. How do I know? Because he told us in Luke 9, starting in verse 1, it says, One day Jesus called together his twelve disciples and gave them the power and authority to cast out all demons and heal diseases. Now look at verse 2. Then he sent them out to do what? Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. What did he send us out to do? To tell about himself, to tell about the kingdom of God and how they can be saved. So often when we hear the word preach, we think it's what I do on Sunday mornings. But that's not the context of what it says here in the Bible. The word we get for preach is kerousos. That's the Greek word there. 
And what it means, it just means to proclaim or to tell or to share. It's what he's talking about here in Luke 9, 2. Go out and tell everyone about the kingdom of God. Why do we tell? Because that's the only way that they can be saved. And we try to do so many different ministries. We try to do so many different things that aren't focused on the preaching or the telling about Jesus Christ. And what are the results? Well, we're seeing the results. The last 50 years, the church in America has declined at a rapid rate. Even us as Southern Baptist churches, we are declining. We see less baptisms today than we saw in the year 1950, even though in America there are 100 million fewer people. Why? It's because we're not doing what Jesus Christ began to do by preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. It is that simple. We try to do it other ways. But all he tells us to do is to share. And guess what? That's what the early church did. They did and continued the work he started. You can go read Acts chapter 2. That is the beginning of the early church at the day of Pentecost. And I want you to hear what Peter does at the very beginning of the church. This is what the Bible says in Acts 2.14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowds. Now why did he shout to the crowds? Because Peter didn't have a microphone. He didn't have a sound system. And there were thousands and thousands of people gathered to hear him tell or to hear him preach about Jesus Christ. And that's why he shouted. And guess what he did? He told them about Jesus. And what was the result? Acts 2.37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He preached. He shared. He told. And thousands came to faith that day at the day of Pentecost. Not only did Peter do this, there was another in the book of Acts that did this, the Apostle Paul. Now before Paul became an apostle, his name was Saul. And if you read the book of Acts, Saul was an evil man and he hated the church and he did everything that he could do to ravage the church and even kill Christians. But he met Jesus Christ. And I want you to see the very first thing he did after he met Jesus Christ and was saved. We read about it in Acts 9.20. It says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately... He began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. Go read the last verse in the book of Acts. Guess what it says Paul is doing? In the very last book, or word of Acts, he was preaching what? About the kingdom of God. That's what the church did when they were founded. That's why so many people are saved. That's why we are sitting here this morning because men and women have been faithful to tell others about Jesus Christ and that's all we're commanded to do is the church. We're just here to share Jesus. It is as simple as that. And if we would do that, guess what? People would be saved. Now, will everyone be saved? No, I understand that not everyone who hears the gospel will be saved. But I guarantee you this. If we share the gospel... More people will be saved because they hear the word of God because the Bible promises that. If we don't share the gospel, guess what? Less people will be saved. Why? Because faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. That's the work that Jesus started. But not only did he start that, look at what happened next. Those who heard the good news and whose lives were changed, they followed him. Look at verse 2 again, 1 through 3. It says there, he took his twelve disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna and Susanna, 
and many others. Now, we don't know how many others. It just says many there. But there were many people following Jesus Christ. Why? Because they heard his message about the kingdom of God. And their lives were radically changed. And they were saved. And then they followed him. This list of people here in Luke 8 are some of the most faithful people in the Bible. Some of those faithful men and women you will read about. We read about his disciples and we read about some women here who were at the foot of the cross, who were in the tomb when he was resurrected. Now, does that mean these people were perfect? No, it doesn't mean they didn't have doubts, they didn't have fears, but they followed Jesus Christ wherever he led. They obeyed his commands and they went and did what he said to do. They followed him. We're not very good at that, the church in America. We like the idea of salvation, and we like the idea of not going to hell and going to heaven. We like that, but we don't like the idea of fellowship. We don't like the idea of whatever Jesus tells us to do, we need to go do it and obey it. Because we don't know what He's going to tell us to do. It might be something we're uncomfortable with. It might be something we're afraid of. It might be something that we just don't trust Him enough to give it up to Him to do. And so we don't follow We walk the aisle of the church, we get baptized, we do those things, but we continue to live our life the exact same way that we lived it before that very thing we did than after. Listen to me, and please hear me, and I'm not saying this with a mean spirit, I'm just saying you this out of the truth of Scripture. If you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you do not follow Him, then you are not a child of God. It is as simple as that. You must follow Him. You must obey Him. And out of that obedience, there will be evidence of that fellowship. The Bible calls it fruit. And you will have fruit in your life that other people will recognize and see that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It must be evident in your life. Guess what? It was evident in the lives of these here in Luke 8. It was evident in the early church. Why? Because they just simply obeyed Him. They did what He said. You don't believe me? Just listen to what Jesus Christ says about following Him. This is what He says later on in the the book of Luke, in Luke 9, talking about discipleship. It starts in verse 59. Jesus says this, He, Jesus, said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is what? To go preach about the kingdom of God. Verse 61, another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who said in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demon in your name? And what will Jesus say? Depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't say a few will say that to me. He says many will say to me, Lord, Lord. If you want to be a child of God, if you want true salvation so that you can be right and know that one day you will stand and be with God in heaven, worshiping around the throne, then you must follow Jesus. Does that mean you have to be perfect? No, no one is perfect. No one does it perfectly. But there should be evidence in your life that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how he began his ministry. And then he did one other thing there. And the Bible tells us, not only did those who followed him preach, not only did they follow, they did something else. They gave to his work. 
that he gave to support the work of Jesus Christ. Look at the very last part of verse 3. It says about those many others, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. This is the establishment of the church and how God instituted for the church to go forward and for the church to flourish. It's by his people who follow him, giving of their resources so the word of God can go out and change people's lives. Here's a question. In Luke 8, when all these people were following Jesus, however many there were, why did Jesus take their money? Did he need their money? Of course Jesus Christ didn't need their money. He's God. He didn't need their money to eat. What did he do with a few small fish and some loaves of bread? He fed over 12,000 people. Did he need their money? No, he could talk to a tree and it either wither or it grow fruit just by speaking to it. He didn't need their money for anything, but he took their money. Why? Because this is the way he began his ministry, and this is the way that that ministry would continue for the next thousands and thousands of years until he returns, and so that his work could continue. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, according to the Word of God, are to give our resources sacrificially. And we're to do that. Not only because He did that for us, but it's because that is how we worship Him. We looked at that last week in Luke chapter 7. When we give of everything that we are and everything we have, it is how we worship. But not only that, Jesus Christ knew something very important. He knew that money or resources or things would be the one thing that could pull us away from loving Him. He knew that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, money in and of itself is not bad. Money can do a lot of good things. But when we love money and we put our trust in money above God, it becomes an idol. So he tells us to give sacrificially. That's why he talks so much about money in the Gospels. That's why half of his parables are about money and stewardship. Because the way we steward what God has given us is a reflection of what we believe about Him. It's also a reflection of our fellowship and our obedience to obeying His word i just want you to hear what he says so you can believe him and not me in luke 21 he talks about giving he talks about sacrificing and this is what he says it says starting in verse 1 of luke 21 while jesus was in the temple he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins i tell you the truth jesus said This poor widow has given more than all the rest. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she has. Who was Jesus impressed with that morning in the temple? It wasn't those of us who give a small portion of what we have and what God has blessed us with. Jesus says the one that he could not believe was this widow who gave everything she had to the work of God by giving to the temple. Listen, God doesn't judge our gifts based on the number of zeros at the end of our check. He doesn't. Because some of you in this room have more money than others. That's just reality. God judges our giving based on sacrifice. And the problem is that most of us, especially in America and in the American church, never sacrificially give. We give out of convenience We give out of what makes sense in our budget. We don't give out of complete 
faith and obedience, trusting God that He will take care of us, and trusting His promises in His Word, like Luke 6.38. Give, and it will be given to you. And then He tells us how it will be given to you. I mean, you can read it. He's going to pour it out, but we don't give that way. We give sparingly so that we can do the things that we think we should do rather than the things that God has commanded us to do. And because of that, His work that He began in Luke 8 is hindered. And it's hindered by those very ones who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. I know people think, oh, Peter's talking about money again. We must need more money in the budget, or we need money to keep the lights on or the doors open. Listen, God does not need your money to keep the lights of this church on or the doors open. He doesn't. This is His church. It's not yours. It's not mine. God has sustained this church for 180 years, and I don't think you've been around 180 years, so He don't need you to sustain this church. As long as God wants the doors of this church open, guess what? The doors of this church will remain open. He doesn't need you for that. The reason we give is to show that we believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives and everything we have and everything we own. That's why we give. Because we trust Him over our resources and over our money and over the things that we hold so tight and value. That's why we give. So listen, if you can't give with a glad heart and if you can't give with a generous spirit, then just don't give. Don't do it. Because here's what happens. It makes you bitter and it makes you hard. So don't give. But if you give, give out of worship because of what Jesus Christ has given you. Listen to what He's given you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor, so that by His poverty we could be made rich. Jesus Christ gave everything and sacrificed everything for us on the cross so that we could have life. And when we turn around and give back to Him, all we're doing is saying thank you. All we're doing is worshiping. And then what we are doing is continuing the work that He began while He was on this earth. And we are continuing that work until He returns. And guess what? He finishes that work that He started. But thank God He lets us be a part of the process. We're here this morning because people have faithfully given. Because people have faithfully shared. Because people have faithfully followed. We will either be like them or not. And if not, then we won't reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the work of God will stop here in our midst in America. It will continue other places like it's continuing this morning in places like Africa and China and Southeast Asia where people are being saved by the thousands just like we read about in the book of Acts. We don't read about that here in America. Why? Because we don't continue the ministry he began in Luke 8. We don't follow, we don't tell, we don't give. Because of it, the ministry of God stops. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Jonah. We all read it when we were in kids in VBS, Jonah and the Whale. We all know that part of the story. We really focus on that part of the story in Jonah 1 and 2. We really don't focus on the back part of the story, which is the most important part of the story. In Jonah chapter 1, God goes to Jonah and says, Jonah, he was a prophet, he was a preacher. He says, I just want you to go share a message with the great city of Nineveh. 
Jonah didn't want to do it, so he ran. We know what happened when he ran. The whale came and got him. And inside that whale, for three days and three nights, Jonah finally repented and said, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And so the whale spit him out. So Jonah finally made it to Nineveh, a city of over 600,000 people, a wicked city. And he walked through the city of Nineveh, and all he did was preach an eight-word message. In 40 days, Nineveh would be destroyed. That's it. That's all he preached. For days, he walked around that city. For whatever reason, the entire city believed his message. They heard the word of God. And the Bible says they repented, the entire city. Even the king got off his throne, put on sackcloth and ash, and he led the city to repentance. And they all got right with God. And the Bible says God didn't destroy Nineveh because of their repentance. That he saved them. The greatest revival in the history of the world. Nowhere have we seen that through the ministry of Billy Graham or Charles Spurgeon or Billy Sunday or anyone. We've never seen anything like it. The Bible mentions Nineveh one more time. It's not in the book of Jonah. It's in the book of Nahum, another prophet. He comes exactly 100 years later from Jonah. 100 years later, Nahum has one more prophetic word for the city of Nineveh. Repent or you will be destroyed. You see, the city of Nineveh, even though they saw the greatest revival, the greatest move of God in the history of the world, they forgot to tell their children. And because they forgot to tell their children, their children didn't tell their children. And just two generations, they forgot what God had done and how He spared their city and not destroyed them. Just because they didn't share. And guess what happened this time in the book of Nahum? They did not repent when God's word was preached and they were destroyed. Why? Because their hearts were hard. And they didn't hear and heed the word of God. I believe the exact same thing has happened in the United States of America. God has blessed us. God has saved us over and over and over again. He saved us from ourselves. But for whatever reason, we've become complacent. And we've thought other things are more important. And we have not shared the good news about the kingdom of God with our children. They don't know it. Satan has robbed them from us. And we've allowed it. And rather going to battle and fight for them, we just stand by and watch. U.S. statistics tell us that the youngest generation, those from 3 to 18, that generation, that only 4% of them have a biblical worldview. 4%. The rest of them, 96%, have a secular worldview. Why? Because that's all they hear. That's all they hear when they go to school. That's all they hear when they watch TV. That's all they hear when they hold that device in their hand is a secular worldview. They don't hear about the Word of God. They don't hear about how God sees things and how God saves people. They don't hear that. And when they don't hear it, they don't know it. And when they don't know it, they cannot be saved because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. That's why God has told us to share and to share and to share and to tell and to speak and to preach. When we don't do that, the work he began 2,000 years ago in Luke 8 stops. And it stops with us. Why? Because we do not follow. We do not obey. We sit by and we say, oh, someone else will do that. Or I don't have time. Or I don't have the energy. I don't have the resources. Whatever. I don't know what excuses we come up with. But we just don't obey. And we're seeing and reaping the results Every day of our life. The moral and spiritual confusion of these days offers an incredible opportunity. This is not a message of doom and gloom. This is a message of hope. 
Because these days offer an incredible opportunity. Because when it becomes the darkest, the light of Jesus Christ shines the brightest. And so as the church, if we will just go forth and preach and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will be a harvest according to God's word. And I believe with all my heart that harvest will come from those young kids, from our students below the age of 18. Because they are ripe and they are ready. But we must be obedient and we must be faithful. Because God uses His church as the continuation of His ministry. Because guess what? We're all He's got. There is no plan B. This is it. So we can either be obedient to His word and follow the way He started it. Or not. And I cannot supply the answer for you. You will either obey and follow. Or we'll keep doing things the way we've always done them. And guess what? If we do that, the results will be the same. Our kids will continue to be robbed from us. So maybe we should go back and try it the way Jesus tells us to do it. Share. Follow, give. Three simple things. Do those things. And He will finish the work. Bow with me, Lord. Thank You. That You don't leave us alone. You promised the Holy Spirit even before you went back to heaven. And you tell us it's through the Holy Spirit of God that we have the power to do the things that you've given us to do. Lord, I pray this morning that that same Holy Spirit that comes and fills our heart and fills it with power and leads us to you. Lord, I pray that that Holy Spirit would fill this place. And that this morning, People in this room would know that they've met God in this place. Lord, I just give you these moments. And I pray that you would continue to minister and speak through these moments. Lord, don't let it be a time where we just think, oh, it's almost over. Let it be a time where it's just beginning. Just beginning to meet with you. Lord, we just give these moments to you. We pray you would bless them, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.